Welcome to the 34 Circe Salon. We journey from the ancient world to the cosmos. Take the adventure, Take with, the adventure us. with us. With us. With us. With us. With us. With us. And welcome back, everyone, to the 34 Circe Salon. This is the Parallax Channel. My name is Sean Marlin Newcomb. And as always, we are about to explore a vast array of subjects. And in this particular one, we're going to explore the classical world. If you would, be so kind to leave us a rating or send us a message at info at 34circe.com. Let us know what you think and what you'd like to hear. Really appreciate it. Every little bit helps. And today we are coming to the Iliad. This is our Classical Studies 101 series. We're going to be dealing with the Iliad, Chapter 8. And the person dealing the deal will be our very own Dr. Gary Stickle. Welcome back, Gary. Hi, great to be back. I bet you love the roar of the crowd. Yes. Good. All right. Just just as our great ancient heroes did as they looked for their glory. Immodestly speaking. Immodestly speaking. There you go. Well, we are into the glory of Achilles and the like. This is chapter eight, Gary. We left off. We finished chapter seven. So tell us a little about what chapter eight's about, and let's jump right in. Well, like I keep saying, uh, Homer's Iliad is the greatest story of war ever written and also the consequences of war. Uh, chapter eight is about the the bloody battles of war. It's in the thick of it. And uh, as I've been doing previously, I just want to read the brief uh, synopsis that is in this uh, early Harvard translation of, of the Iliad by uh, Andrew Lang, Walter Leaf, and Ernest Myers, 1883. So the language I'm about to read you it reflects that 19th century period. And it says, Book 8, how Zeus bethought him of his promise to avenge Achilles' wrong on Agamemnon, and therefore bade the gods refrain from war and gave victory to the Trojans. Hmm. So give us the 21st century translation. Yeah, so it's basically... Uh, you know, the the war, you know, waxes and wanes. Zeus favors first one side and then the other. And in this chapter, he's favoring the Trojans. So it's, and are we going to have a lot of uh, bloodshed and battle in this one, as you're yes. saying? So. And, um, but also, it, it was heavy interaction of the gods and goddesses. Uh, and like you and I have spoken about before, uh, one of our criticisms, which we did in a previous podcast of the movie Troy, was that it left out the gods, and uh, I think it's essential to include them. So, uh, like you and I have been talking about doing this uh, Game of Thrones-like series called Rage of the Gods, where the gods would be in it and interacting in the the dramatic ways that Chapter 8, you know, indicates. Well, so 
Yeah, I think that the the divine element of the Iliad is is central. So it's one of the things that makes this story so fun, even though it's brutal. The Iliad in particular is brutal. I'm more of a fan of the Odyssey for sure. But the gods are central and and to not include them, I think is a mistake, uh, even from uh, the standpoint of just storytelling. There There is a way to do it. And it can work, and it may work for a lot of people, but the gods should be there. So, uh, so let's keep. Let's go on. So, what? How do we start out with chapter eight? Well, I want to start out with the uh, the prologue, so to speak, the beginning. Uh, first, I'm going to cite from the same translation, which is beautiful. I think it says, "Now dawn," which is a goddess, by the way, the goddess dawn. The I'm sure our wrote, own dawn, Sam Alden, will be happy to hear that. Yes. Now dawn, the saffron robed, was spreading over all the earth, and Zeus, whose joy is in the thunder, let call an assembly of the gods upon the topmost peak of many ridged Olympus, or Mount Olympus. And Mount Olympus is the home of the gods where Zeus rules. Mm. Um, And it's in uh, northern Greece in actuality. So now I want to read the translation by Robert Fagels mm-hmm. and um, his um, translation in the, in the 90s. And, um, and I'm going to read extensively from his translation because I, it, it just gives the flavor and the grandeur, I think, of uh, Homer's language. So i just uh, read his translation. Now as Dawn flung her golden robe, Across the earth, Zeus, who loves the lightning, summoned all the gods to assembly on the topmost peak of ridged Olympus. He harangued the immortals with his words, quote, Hear me, all you gods and goddesses, too, as I proclaim what the heart inside me urges. Let no lovely goddess, no god either, try to fight against my strict decree. All submit to it now. So all the more quickly I can bring this violent business to an end. And any god I catch breaking ranks with us, eager to go and help the Trojans or the Achaeans or the Greeks, back he comes to Olympus, whipped by my lightning, eternally disgraced. Or I will snatch and hurl him down to the murk of Tartarus. Now Tartarus is the dark and worst part of the underworld underworld kingdom of the dead right and so uh then he he goes on you know saying uh then uh they will know how far my power tops all other gods come try me immortal so all of you can learn hang a great golden cable down from the heavens and so on so he goes on you know talking about what he'll do to them you know Mm mm-hmm and then uh, the gods respond. A stunned silence seized all the gods, struck dumb. Zeus's ringing pronouncements overwhelmed them so, but finally clear-eyed Athena rose and spoke, quote, Our father, son of Cronus, high and mighty, we already know your power far too well. Who can stand against you? Even so, we pity the Greek spearmen, living out their grim fates, dying in blood. Yes, we'll keep clear of the war as you command. We'll simply offer the Greeks tactics so they may save them, so they won't all fall beneath your blazing wrath. And then Zeus, who drives the storm clouds, smiled and answered, Courage, Athena, third born of the gods, dear child. 
Now, it's interesting that in this chapter, uh, when I think our sacred symbolic numbers are used, and here it's important that Zeus that she's third born, number three, mm-hmm. is a sacred number. I think it primarily refers in ancient Greek, uh, you know, religious belief system to the three main gods, Zeus, the king of the gods, Poseidon, the king of the sea, and Hades, the king of the underworld, kingdom of the dead. And it says, dear child, nothing I said was meant in earnest. Uh, nothing I said was meant in earnest. Trust me. I mean you all good well in, in the world. With that, he harnessed his bronze-hooved horses to his chariot. And his pair, meaning the horses, raced the wind with their golden manes, streaming behind them. He strapped on his golden armor around his body. Zeus took up his whip. A crack of the lash, and his team plunged to the run, and on stallions flew, holding back as they winged between earth and starry skies. In other words, he has Pegasus-like horses with wings that fly him through the sky, which I think is really, really fun. And then he gained the slopes of Mount Ida. Now, Mount Ida is like a second Mount Olympus, but it's over near Troy. It's about, I think it's about 75 miles from Troy. Um, and there he, uh, you know, it's a series of uh, peaks, and he landed on the highest one called Gargaron Peak. And where, he's, it says here, where there's a grove of Zeus and Zeus's smoking altar. There the father of men and gods reigned in this team, set them free, and around them poured a dense mist. And Zeus assumed his throne on the mountaintop, so apparently he brought his throne with him <laughs> so he could sit on it. Well, guy's got to be comfortable, right? Yeah, exactly. And then exulting in all his glory. How about that? And then gazing out over the city walls of Troy and the warships of the Greeks. That's an amazing, amazing descriptive sequence. So then he sends the, uh, quote, the long-haired Achaeans, or Greeks, um, you know, to attack the Trojans. And then he says, then all the gates flung wide and the Trojan mass surged out, horses, chariots, men on foot, a tremendous roar went up. And now as the armies clashed at one strategic point, they slammed their shields together, spear against spear with the grappling strength of fighters armed in bronze. Essentially, he emphasizes bronze because it's the Bronze Age. I just gave you a little bit of a sword clash sound effect there. Right. And uh, uh, Homer was right in the Iron Age, but he keeps mentioning bronze throughout the Iliad because it was the Bronze Age. Mm-hmm. But he does say the, their round shields, bosses, a boss is a, a round protrusion on a shield that strengthens it. Uh, and the shields weren't round as far as I can tell. They were uh, rectangular or oval-shaped, whatever, but not round in the main. So he, he didn't get that part right, you know. Mm-hmm. But he did mention they're made out of hide. He says, hide to hide. <clears throat> he says, in thunder of, of their struggle roared and rocked the earth. Screams of men and cries of triumph breaking in in one breath. Fighters killing, fighters killed, and the ground streamed blood. And then wow. it goes on. He wants to decide wow. how this particular battle is going to turn out, you know? Mm-hmm. So then he says, um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, 
The battle carried on, but once the sun stood striding at high noon, then Father Zeus held out his sacred golden scales. They had these gigantic golden scales, you know, balance scales. And um, and so uh, he holds out the scales and then to one pan, you know, each scale is a pan. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a plate-like thing that you balance things on. And so on one, on, on each one, he placed two fates of death. So these are like goddesses of death called the fates. Mm-hmm. Fates of death that lay men low. One for the Trojans and one for the archives or the Greeks. Helmed in bronze. Again, he repeats the bronze. And then the father raised it high. And down went the Greeks, indicating their day of doom. How about that? Man. This is, so, so this is truly epic writing from Homer. I mean, this is incredible. This is, and people need to be aware, too, that this is foundational writing. I mean, this is our earliest Western European literature that we have. And so right. it's, it's just, it, it, enters the scene with a bang, right? It enters the scene with a bang. And so you've got this great uh, storytelling that's going on. So let's let's dive into that scene now. So you've given us the description of it. Zeus is, and I, I look at this as chapter eight is Zeus's spotlight. Zeus's yeah. star term. Like this is about, you know, the God of thunder, the lightning God. Um, so... Break it down a little bit for us, Gary. What do you think Homer is doing with this chapter? Well, he's just indicating the uh, drama of war and how the gods are fickle, in a sense, because Zeus goes back and forth, and eventually he agrees with his wife and queen Hera, and then Athena, the god of wisdom and defensive war, to let the Trojans... Let the Greeks win. Mm-hmm. So, um, so anyhow, Zeus, continue on here. He let loose a huge crash of thunder from Mount Ida, hurling his lightning bolts in a flash against the Greek armies. And the men looked up in horror. White terror seized them all. So now he's talking about Agamemnon. Neither Agamemnon uh, dared stand his ground, uh, nor did great and little Ajax. There's two Ajaxes. Mm -hmm. Ajax the greater is the greater fighter. And and in the meantime, he says, Magnificent Paris winged his bow. Now he's firing on them, you know. And he, he hits... Uh, one of the one of the Greeks it says the arrow pierced his brain and, and flung the team that the, the guy was driving a chariot <clears throat> uh, riding around the brazen point the old horseman meaning uh, Nestor, King Nestor is riding on that chariot mm-hmm. uh, hacked away at the stripe of the straps sudden strokes of his sword but on came Hector's team. So Hector was driving a chariot towards him. Hector being the son of the king and queen of Troy and the main defender of Troy. And uh, so Hector's team into the rush of battle. And, and uh, 
sweeping the driver Hector on and fighting fury. <clears throat> then and there, old Nestor would have died if Diomedes, you know, another Greek, had not uh, saved him. And then Diomedes tries to get Odysseus uh, to help him, but Odysseus, you know, he yells at Odysseus, where are you running? Odysseus is running away, <laughs> you know, interestingly. Oh, that's interesting. And he says, "Why, you know, quote, why are you running? The royal son of Laertes, you, you cool tactician, turning your back in battle like some coward, cutting and running. Take care that no one spears you in the back. Hold firm wow. with me. Calling yeah, yeah. out Odysseus. Well, maybe Odysseus thought there's the strategy there. Let me. The good strategy now is to get out of Dodge before. Yeah, I, I think it's um, a strategic retreat is, is what's in order. So Odysseus yeah. being the, the crafty tactician, uh, you know, it's doing it. But, uh, but you know, uh, he wants to, uh, you know, gets a, he wants Odysseus to fight with him, you know. Mm -hmm. Diomedes, and he says, um, excuse me, hold firm with me. We'll fight the wild maniac off and uh, off the old man here. But long enduring Odysseus never heard him. Down he dashed to the hollow Greek ships. So all on his own, Diomedes charged out front to save Nestor. So he gets to Nestor and he says, climb aboard my chariot. And so they, they drive away. It says, we'll let Hector, Hector see if the spear in my hand is mad for bloodshed too, you know? Mm -hmm. So Hector's chasing him and so on, and he's uh, driving off. And, um, uh, but, but he's, but he's, Diomedes is always on the attack. So he attacks Hector. He charges straight for Hector. Um, uh, but um, anyhow, uh, neither one, manages to kill the other. Well, and Diomedes, so get, so get again, is our, is our overlooked great fighter. Remember we talked about that yeah. in one of our other episodes, that Diomedes is the is the, the yeah, battler that we don't hear about much. And he's approaching Achilles and uh, valor and, and uh, you know, fighting ability. Right. And, and we just, and it, I still find it fascinating that we don't, hear much about him in popular culture or even from what we know of in the ancient text. You would have figured there'd be more things written about Diomedes, but there just aren't, you know, great works about Diomedes. Yeah, you would think, you would think. And so to continue here, uh, the translation says Homer, now there would have been havoc, irreversible chaos. The Trojans pinned in the walls of Troy like sheep but the father of men and gods, meaning Zeus, was quick to the mark. He let go a crash of thunder. Zeus let loose a terrific lightning bolt and blazing wide at the hooves of Diomedes' team. It split the earth, a blinding smoking flash, molten sulfur exploding into the air, stallions shine, cringing against the, the chariot. And the shining reins flew free of Nestor's grip. So in other words, that's a dramatic scene of the king of the gods interfering and stopping Diomedes from attacking Hector. Right. No, it's an amazing uh, sequence. So it, it just... Um, that was the lightning and the horse galloping off. 
Um, it so he throws the lightning bolt right in front of the chariot to stop them in their tracks is what he did, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you know, hearing this, it it is it is such a fascinating way of seeing the ancient world described the fortunes of war and how they come about and how great, because like we talked about Homer clearly shows appreciation for both the Trojans and the Greeks. He's not, you know, he, he makes it clear that their both sides are heroic, heroic. So when you have two heroic yeah. sides, when you have two sides, that have every right to believe what they believe and fighting for what they are fighting for. There's no clear high ground, let's say, like we talk about with World War II. In World War II, it's pretty clear. The Allies were on the side of right. The Axis were not. That's, I don't think anybody really wants to argue that. But in this case, we're looking at two different groups of people who each have a reason and legitimate claim to stand their ground and to protect and preserve what they are. So here's Homer spinning this tale and explaining the vagaries or capriciousness of how the gods choose their fallen and how the gods choose their victors. It's really interesting. It's really wonderful to listen to. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> and um, so anyhow, we have... Uh, Hector then, and he's um, yelling at his men, you know, mm -hmm. and he he, he says, uh, um, he, he yells at Diomedes, Hector, you know, Hector after him. And he says, mm -hmm. Hector flashing, his helmet flashing. You know, Homer keeps saying he had a, apparently a shining helmet, a shiny helmet, and it kept flashing. <clears throat> helmet flashing, rangy Hector hurled a resounding yell, Diomedes, once the Greek writers prize you first of men with the pride of place, choice meats and brimming cups, now they will disgrace you, a woman after all. Away with you, girl, glittering little puppet. I'll never yield. You'll never mount our towers, never drag our women back to your ships of war. I'll pack you off to the god of darkness first, meaning Hades. Whoa, that is a pretty, I mean, that's calling a guy out. Now, granted, yes. he's using gendered terms that in today's world we we question. But bottom line, as all of us know, the what he's saying and how he's calling um, Hector, I mean, how he's calling Diomedes out is pretty, I mean, that's pretty intense. He's throwing it down yes. basically at that point. So, all right. So what's Diomedes' response? <clears throat> well, he... He has to retreat. I mean, that's what Zeus mm -hmm. wants. Yeah. And so, um, uh, and it just goes on. Fighting words and Diomedes was torn two ways. He half, half a mind to turn the team and take him face to face. Exactly. But he, he has, you know, but and it says three times, again, the sacred number three. Um, <clears throat> um, three times Tydides was tempted, heart and soul. Three times from the crags of Ida, Zeus let loose his thunder. The master strategist, meaning Zeus, handing down a sign to the Trojans. Victory, thunder turning the tide of war their way. And Hector called out to his men with a ringing voice. 
Trojans, Lycians, Dardan fighters, hand to hand. Now be men, my friends. Call up your battle fury. The father Zeus nods his head in assent. I see at last he gains me glory, triumph, and to the Greeks, bloody death. He says, fools erecting their rampart, meaning they erected a wall around their ships and, a, and they had a trench as well, you know. They'll never hold me back from my onslaught now. And with a bound, my team will leap their trench. They dug. And soon I'll reach their hollow ships with torches. Don't forget now, one of you bring me lethal fire. I'll burn their ships, slaughter all their men. Greek heroes panicked and smoke along the, their hulls. So with that, Hector calls out to, apparently he had a, what's called a quadriga, in other words, a four-horse chariot, which I don't think they had in Bronze Age time, so I think Homer got this wrong. Mm-hmm. But it said that uh, Hector called out to his horses. He gave names, Golden, Whitefoot, Blaze, and Silver Flash. And then he yells at him, now repay me for all the loving care and Andromache, that's Hector's wife, mm-hmm. uh, who generously gave you, uh, showered you a plenty uh, with honey-hearted wheat and so on, you know. I am her loving husband, and uh, I'm, I'm going after them full gallop so we can seize the shield of Nestor. A shield of solid gold, hand grips and shield itself, and so on. Amazing. So, That's a, just any, an amazing so description. How do we? So we're coming to the end of our episode today. How does this chapter end? How do we tie this up? Well, you know, the, basically, um, Zeus is just going to let the Trojans win the day. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but they get, they get, um, they get stymied, uh, you know, they get uh, stopped at the uh, Greeks' wall, you know. And um, so, you know, Hector <clears throat> um, then basically uh, tells them to, to uh, you know, call it a day, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> so, you know, he, he, he goes on and he says, um, He says, hear me, Trojans. I hope by now, once we destroy them all, all the Greeks and their hollow ships, we might turn home to the windy heights of Troy. But night came on us too soon. So in other words, it's night, you know, it's getting on nightfall and they don't fight at night. And then that's what and he, and he quotes, he says, that's what saved them. That alone, they and their ships along the churning surf. Very well, then. Let us give way to the dark night. Bring on the rations of honeyed mellow wine. So he's going to have wine and, you know, mm-hmm. call it a night. And then all night long till the breaking light of day, we keep the watchfires blazing. Hundreds of fires and the rising glare can leap and hit the skies. So you have this uh, vision of all that. Um, and so he says... My hopes are rising now. I pray to Zeus and the great array of deathless gods that we will whip the Greeks howling out of Troy and drive them off to death, those dogs of war. 
The deadly fates drove them here in their black ships. So now, for the night, we guard our positions, but tomorrow at daybreak, armed to the help for battle, we will unleash slicing war against their hollow holes. I'll soon, I'll soon see if the mighty Diomedes uh, rams me back from the ships, back from their walls, or I kill him with bronze and strip his body armor. So we will learn you know, their strength and stand the onrush of my spear. See if they can stand the onrush of my spear. As surely as this day, we will bring the Greeks death. So Hector urged his armies. The Trojans roared ascent. And it says, and so their spirits soared, and they took positions down the passageways of battle all night long. And the watch fires blazed among them, hundreds strong, as many as stars in the night sky glittering round the moon's brilliance blaze in all their glory. The stars shine clear, and the shepherd's heart exults. So many fires burn between the ships and Xanthus's as a river whirling rapids. Set by the men of Troy, a thousand fires were burning there on the plain. Beside each sat fifty men, fifteen fighting men, poised in the leaping blaze and championing. Uh, their food stationed by their chariots. Stallions, their stallions waited for dawn to mount their glowing throne. So in other words, he's saying there's 50,000 Trojans, probably an exaggeration, mm-hmm. that we're going to fight against an equal number of Greeks on the next day. So we, we end with the really getting ready for the next round, the next the next showdown. Yes. Right? Okay. Yes. What, what a great place to stop. Let's stop there. And we'll pick it up with the next chapter, what happens in the next round. This has been the Classical Studies 101, the Iliad, Chapter 8. We're talking and have been talking with Dr. Gary Stickle. Thank you, Gary, as always. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure, as always. And uh, I am Sean Marlon Newcomb. This is the 34 Circe Salon, the Parallax. Thank you for listening. We'll be back with you again very soon. Take care. Thank you.